Hi, it's Ian Broder here. Welcome to the More Clients podcast. This is part two of my interview with James Sale, the expert on motivation and what makes people tick. In the first part of the interview, we talked about James James's business because over the last few years, he's transitioned from being a business that has primarily been driven by him and, and personal work he's been doing with people to one that's more driven by products and by having a, um, a team of licensees doing the work. But the other thing I wanted to talk to James about was actually the content of his work. Um, so, James, you've recently had your book Mapping Motivation published through Gower. So, first of all, congratulations for that. Thank you. That's really it's, – it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a breakthrough for me personally, and obviously I believe it's going to be a breakthrough for our business in terms of worldwide recognition for what we're trying to do. So, yeah, I am so over the moon about this. Uh, my wife, when I came home, I was out swimming actually. I had a swim in a sauna and I came back from, from a bit of a workout and I, we weren't expecting it before Christmas. This was, I think, on the 18th of December. We thought, hey, this won't arrive till the new year now. Although, you know, the publishers said they, they hoped to get it to us. We, we weren't that confident. And then I walked to the door and uh, my wife suddenly th- thrust it in my hand. A copy had arrived and then took a picture of me and I, I was just in a state of total ecstasy. The, the thing was there in my hand. I, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> Brilliant. It is. It's a heavy old tomb as well. I've got it in my hand right now, a review copy. Um, so what, what I'm g- going to do is, in a way, you wrote the book, um, Mapping Motivation, about organizations and what motivates people so you can engage your employees, or you can get engaged and energetic yourself based on understanding your motivation. Um, yes. But obviously you know, for people listening, you can also use insights from the book and and your particular models of motivation to think about how you market and sell to potential clients. Because obviously, if what you're marketing and selling, if the products and the services you have and the way you talk to them is aligned with what motivates them, you're much more likely um, for them to buy. Yes, absolutely. So first of all, tell us a little, give us an overview of your models for motivation. You know, what what have you actually found to be the real drivers of of people's behavior? What we've discovered, and we, we talk about making the invisible visible, because motivation is something that's invisible. You can't see it. It's like uh, the other emotions. You, uh, love, you might love somebody, but it's not visible. It's in them, but you can't see it. So motivation is exactly the same. It's an invisible something, essence, energy that's there that actually uh, we've all got this. We've all got um, in fact, the model is, is that we've got all got nine motivators. There are nine motivators. They're all in our psyche, but they're all in a different order and at different levels of intensity. So what our product does, it actually, you do the test. It takes 12 minutes online, and then it actually gives you the rank order of all nine motivators. And of those nine motivators, three of them will tend to be dominant for any one person. So three of them will be really influencing your behavior. These are the three that are stronger than the other six, and these will actually drive what you want to do. I also ought to say, because it's quite important when we come to the marketing part of this conversation, that those nine motivators aren't just discrete motivators, like there's nine good ideas. They are connected and interconnected. And of most importance here is, is that they're in three groups of three and they correlate with the Maslow hierarchy of needs. So at the bottom of the Maslow hierarchy of needs, we have what we have designated relationship motivators. So there are three motivators which are primarily concerned with relationships. So for example, the need to belong. 
clearly you have to belong to other people. So that, that need is clearly relationship driven. And the bottom three motivators is a pattern. They've all got this kind of central idea of relationships with other people driving what you're looking for, um, in life and in the workplace. So somebody, for example, who wants to belong, and that's their dominant motivator at work, of course, will they like teamwork? Yes, they will love teamwork as opposed to the opposite motivator, which is the need to be independent. You know, if you've got that motivator, do you want to be in a team? Well, you're not so keen, maybe. So at the bottom end of it all, there are the relationship. In the middle, there are what we call the achievement motivators. And these are the motivators which are very, very corporate and business orientated. They involve, for example, control. Um, the the desire for money, the need for expertise. So they're the kind of things we traditionally ascribe to managers and leaders of businesses. You know, the control, the management, the leadership, the, the, the financial aspects and the focus on the bottom line, the profitability of the company, um, the need for deep levels of expertise. So these are the achievements. So this is, these, these motives enable us to get things done and to make things happen and to, and to to be what we want to be in the world, to achieve what we want to achieve. And then beyond that, the level that Maslow would have described as perhaps the self-actualization, but we call there's the growth motivators. So these are not about relationships. These are not about achieving stuff. These top three motivators are about innovation, making what didn't exist before exist now can you see why they're growth they're self-actualizing something which wasn't there before suddenly comes into existence now because of somebody creating it or freedom so the complete need to be free of teams or anything else this autonomy that we want this central autonomy to control our own destinies and make our own decisions and at the very peak of it in the growth motivators is what we call we call it the searcher motivator but it's all about mission um purpose and the phrase I think that most people identify with from this interview would be making a difference. Mm. It's the making a difference. It's leaving your mark in the world. This motivator is very, very powerful. So these nine motivators are in three groups of three, and each one of us has got three of them which are driving our behavior at any given time. And over time, our motivators will change. They're not like psychometrics, which are, you know, if you're an extrovert, you're going to remain an extrovert for, most, for all of your life, basically. But this actually changes. I won't go into why this is the case and how we look at this and understand this, but there's a, there's a mechanism by which motivation changes in your psyche over time. It can change drastically and instantly, but for most people, it will change gradually. So I would recommend to anyone who's interested in their motivations that every 18 months to two years, they do a checkup. It's like a health checkup. You say, well, what's actually motivating me now? Have I shifted in my motivational profile? Mm. And that, that's kind of, in a way, fundamental to that um, hierarchy of needs approach. That once, yes. you, once your basic level motivation motivators lower down have been met, then you move on and, and you focus on other things. Or on the other hand, if you have a life-changing event and some of your basic level motivators down below suddenly aren't met anymore, you go back to f- focusing on them. Well, absolutely. And to give you a personal example, so for example, the friend, the, the belonging motivator was really, really low on my profile till I had the cancer. And when I came out of that, it suddenly became a lot higher. <laughs> and so that started affecting my behavior for, for more collaboration. Mm. So, you know, it really is that kind of relevant to what we're doing. Mm. So everybody has these, these core motivators in different degrees and they have their kind of top three. Now, if we, if we, going to think about then as a as as a kind of seller or a marketer or you know a, 
a coach, a consultant, someone who, who, who wants to work with potential clients who have these motivations. Um, obviously, if we're talking to a potential client, um, we're not going to have the kind of luxury that they've, they've completed the motivational map diagnostic and we, we get to see all the detailed results. We'll have to be going on what, what comes out of a conversation with them, what comes out of our knowledge of them. So in that situation, what, what would your advice be in terms of trying to understand people's motivation? What's, what's a kind of sh- I know, obviously you're not going to get the full stuff, but what's a, maybe a little shortcut? Oh, I'll give you a short version of this. You see, Ian, just before, just got to rewind that slightly though, because of course we and our licensees do do precisely that. Part of our prospecting is always where what we do is, mm. We meet somebody, we are in contact with somebody through social media, or whatever it's going to be. We have a conversation. Then we say, oh, by the way, would you like to try a map? And then we can buy. So in fact, we're always using this from a sales point of view. And from the sales point of view, this is so, so powerful because once I have the profile of somebody in advance, I don't try to manipulate them, but clearly I will position what we have to offer in terms of those three motivators. Mm, no so, talking you know, so much about the other things. Yeah, no, no talking to talk about it. If, if, um, guarantees, warranties and all the rest of it aren't important to you because it's your lowest motivator, i.e. security is your lowest motivator, then I'm not going to start talking about risk reversal. I won't need to talk about risk mm. reversal because it's not important. But on the other hand, if that is your number one motivator and I'm trying to sell you a package, then clearly I would. But I take your point. That is obviously very bespoke to the people in the system who have got access to this technology. So how would this apply more generally? Now, you're talking about something we don't teach, and you're talking about something that is relatively new because, of course, the motivation has got an application into um, all sorts of areas of our life, way beyond simply performance management and team building and all the rest of it. It's, it's, it's kind of generic. It's, it's out there. So it wouldn't surprise anybody to say, well, actually, so what about selling and what about motivation? So how does this apply? So I think how I would answer your question would be in the following way. What we've actually need to look at in the first instance are clues as to which of the three areas um, of motivation the person we're talking to is actually going to be in. So are they going to be kind of relationship-driven motivators that are dominant for them? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be achievement or is it going to be growth? Or alternatively, the fourth possibility is, is it going to be mixed? So what we need for when we, we have these conversations is we need to look for clues as to where they actually are in terms of their positioning with that and then actually go from there. So let me give you some, some, some ideas regarding that. So, um, if, for example, um, the person that we are talking to, we feel is dominantly relationship motivated driven, then what that means in terms of how I need to approach them would be I need to approach them in terms of guarantees and warranties. I need to be extremely friendly and I need to actually make them feel in a very Dale Carnegie way that they are really important. So my listening skills need to be really acute. Now, you could argue they always need to be acute, but no, in this instance, it really does need to be Dale Carnegie level listening skills. If, on the other hand, I feel that they are, I'll tell you how we decide what they are, by the way, in a minute. So I'm coming to that bit afterwards. But if I was to decide that they are achievement orientated, then I would say, well, I need to actually focus on solutions. I need to focus on the bottom line and I need to focus on knowledge um, understood quite clearly as knowledge is power. So that's a very different focus from, you know, being friendly and from them being important and having warranties and guarantees and risk reversal. If, on the other hand, I thought they were growth orientated, then I would need to focus on innovation, uh, their ability to make decisions and their leadership capability and 
probably the most important of all, I'd need to focus on the difference that my service and product is going to make for them. That probably is the single most important generic thing I'd need to focus on. Now, you can clearly see that's quite different from focusing on um, them being important or or actually the bottom line. You know, them making a difference is a quite different concept from what's the bottom line of using this. Mm. Now, clearly, if it's a mixed bag, then we've got to that, – that's the most difficult thing to deal with because clearly it's, it's – it's, then we've got to drill down to another level. But before we do that well, – maybe we haven't got time for that – but let's deal with the issue of – so how do we decide whether somebody is relationship-motivated orientated, achievement-orientated, or growth-orientated? Now, there's more than this, but I'm going to give you three ideas in each category, mm. things to look for when you are in an interview – with um, somebody. And I, I bear in mind that one of my favorite poems by Thomas Hardy has this wonderful line in it which says, he was a man who used to notice such things. Uh, substitute the word woman as well if you want to. But what I'm saying is, of course, this isn't going to happen automatically. You've got to notice the other person. You've got to notice what they're saying. You've got to notice how they're behaving, etc. in order to pick this up. But, but if we take relationships, a relationship-type motivated person will actually have a past orientation now that will mean you will get to know the the answer to this question or this this statement this is this is how we do things here this is how we do things here will tend to characterize how they talk about their business and their organization they will tend to be people-centered as well because they're relationship driven which means in practical terms that loyalty is really essential so a way of establishing that is they don't tend to sack people easily. And they've got a lot of long timers in the company. People tend to be there a long time. That's not a difficult thing to establish, but do they? Do they have that or don't they have that? Mm. You know, they won't be like uh, GE, you know, 10% have got to go every year, whatever their performance, the bottom 10% got to go. We're turning them around. And, the us, and then another sort of 50% are on kind of, you know, watch list. And only the top 30% or whatever the figure is, is really safe. You know, it's like that's achievement orientated, but this is actually loyalty orientated. And the third thing is they will be security focused, which means they will be efficiency based. It will be about efficiency. It will be about processes and systems. And it will also be, as you will learn from the conversation, change averse. Now, they are symptoms of a dominant motivational profile. And if that is the, is what you feel about them, then you need to work through what I said before about the, the warranties, the guarantees, the certainties, the validation, the friendliness that you exhibit to them, the fact that they are very, very important people and you need to make them feel important. That is really mission critical if you're going to get through to these people. To get through, of course, is going to be very difficult for you unless you are yourself in that category because like attracts like like so you're gonna have to work extra hard if you are a growth kind of motivating type person as actually i am getting through to relationship type motivated peoples is actually tricky but that is how you will do it and it's the only way you'll be able to do it now if you are in the achievement category then you will actually be present tense orientated so the key question underpinning what they're thinking is how do we get this done it's not you know um, this is how we do things here, which has got a kind of past feel to it. So how do we get things done now? How do we get things done? Which means they are not people-centered. They are what I call thing-orientated. So that means they're into 
possessions. They're into uh, money. You know, they will talk about their holidays in Bali or they will talk about their second home in the south of France. They will talk about their yacht. They will talk about things. And it also will tend to mean they're very much into control. They like control, controlling what's going on. Very, very important. And they will therefore also be so not security focused, but they will be practically driven. So talking about goals and talking about effectiveness and talking about outcomes is exactly what you should be talking about. In fact, this is where you are traditionally talking business speak. Mm. If business was entirely rational, which of course it's not, this is where you'd be because it all just about the outcomes for the next, the next thing, the next goal that we've actually got. Mm. So, for example, the, the contrast with the, with the previous one is if, let's say you were talking to a potential client about a project, if you're a consultant and you're talking about a project you might be working with them on, you'd find the first person, the more relationship-oriented person, might, might be asking you questions about, well, how might this affect the people? Exactly. How, do you, how do we make sure the team get, we get the team on yes, board? Whereas exactly. this person um, would be talking about well, what are the specific deliverables for this? How do we make exactly. the return on investment? How do we make sure we hit the milestones? Ian, 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 would you like to become a motivational mapper? You can become a licensee of ours. You've got this, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly, and it's exactly that shade of meaning. And, you know, we've got to look out for these warning signs, these warning shots. So this is where this person is coming from. Do I need to focus on these deliverables or do I need to focus on the effect on the people? Right. You know, it's quite a distinctive difference. They're both important, of course. This is the other thing about this, by the way. I mean, it's the, it's the classic unity, the trinity, unity thing. You know, there are three dimensions of space. There are three dimensions of time. There are three dimensions of matter. You know, there's all this three-in-one stuff. Uh, we need all three. And any over overemphasis on one of these dimensions leads to a distortion. But we're dealing with people, and everyone has got a dominant one and then a secondary one. So to come to the third one, the growth motivators, which incidentally is where having done hundreds of coaches and consultants, where dominantly coaches and consultants actually exist, they will have a, guess what, a future orientation. So the question they'll be underpinning their mind will be something like, what can we be in five years' time or three years' time? What can we be? You know, we're, we're in a state of becoming. What will we become? Not who are we now? What are we doing now? But what will we become? And they are not people centered. They are not thing orientated. They are ideas focused. They are, they love the big picture. They love talking about values, ideals, you know, the, the intangible stuff, which is behind the visible stuff. And so they will tend to be not practically driven, but intuitively aware so they will make gut they will be fast decision makers and the thing you'll notice about them is they will actually be very change and risk friendly in other words when you suggest an idea they're up for an idea they don't start thinking oh we can't do that here or that doesn't fit they actually embrace ideas and 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 debate so it's quite so you have to move at a fast pace with these people you have to have ideas with these people you've got to actually stimulate in fact they get bored easily Mm. So these are the things. So whereas the relationship people don't get bored easy, they want more detail to be absolutely sure that nobody's going to be upset by what we're about to undertake. The people at this other end, uh, they may pay lip service to people, but the actual fact they get excited by this newness that you're bringing on board. Now, the most difficult thing to deal with is the fourth category where it's mixed. Because really, there cannot be generic um, advice like I'm giving you for the other three. Bearing in mind... 
I mean, I do think the distribution of this is very um, sector specific. So from the point of view of this discussion, we just got to assume it's 25% likely to be one and 25% the other. But in fact, when you go down to sectors, so when you're dealing with the consultancy sector, you know, it's going to be A and G. It will be, you know, there won't be much R, there won't be much mixed. It'll be A and G. In fact, dominantly G. If you go down into, say, financial sectors, there'll be a lot of, there will be a lot of relationship stuff. So, you know, depending on the sector will depend upon the likelihood of this happening. But all things being equal, it's 25-25 because, in fact, we've done 25,000 maps and I've seen all of these profiles in spades. Mixed profiles, G profiles, R profiles, A profiles, they're, they're all there. But when we come to the mix, what has to happen there, and this is really what I'd call advanced knowledge, and it's something we can't go into in this interview because it would take too long, but we have to get a sense of some of these strands and then link them to specific motivators. We have to then make a pitch in our mind to think, well, which one of the motivators really is dominant for this person? So, um, you know, I think we, we'd be asking typical sales type of questions um, and trying from the answers to those questions to work out what really was going on. So, so what's really important about this project for you, John? What's really important? And listening very closely to the answer to see if there's something they say which absolutely links into one of the motivators, like, like, like making a difference, like making money, like expertise, like, you know, change. Which, which one of those answers would then link in? So this is really, really kind of advanced stuff and it goes beyond what we could do today. But I think you get the flavor yeah, yeah. of what I'm talking about. And of course, in, in, a, in a sales situation, you're going to be asking those questions anyway. So you'll yes. be getting a sense. You know, whenever you're talking to someone um, about potentially working with them, you'll be asking them about you know their organisation or or their business or the, or themselves and how things work currently. So I guess you'll get a sense of whether they're talking about people or or about deliverables and achievements or whether they're talking about their what their yes. value, their mission is or their value their values in life. And then if you'd be asking them about, as you said, well, what would make this project a success for you? And if they start talking about, you know, the, the project would be a success if, you know, we, we get it delivered on time or we yeah. do this, you, you begin to, you, I guess you're almost triangulating in your mind. Yes. You know, they've, if they've answered three things all in relationship mode, chances yes. are they're probably going to be a relationship person. If they've batted about between different areas, maybe, maybe they're kind of mixed. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, when you, when you're getting a sense of this, you're doing two things. If you ask someone what the most important thing for them about a, you know, about this project is, you'll get something specific, which, you know, you put in the proposal. So if the most important thing they want is they absolutely have to hit the, you know, they hit the deadlines on time because they're time pressured. Then of course, in your proposal or whatever, you're going to talk about how you'll hit those, how you'll hit the deadlines on time and what mechanisms you'll use to make sure that happens. But yes. you'll also then go beyond that, you're seeing. So, and, and say, you know what? I think that's telling me that this is an achievement focused person. So I'm going to yes. frame a lot of things in that achievement yes. sense. In addition to the specific they've given me, I'm going to extrapolate and start thinking this is an achievement type person. Absolutely. And there's two extra things to say about that. The first is to be clear as well. Something you've also got, and you have to do this anyway in any sales situation, independently of using motivation as a kind of tool to work out what they really want. The difference between what they really want and what the organization wants. Mm. And there can be an overlap and there can be, of course, a complete mismatch. Yeah. So are they talking on behalf of the so, so you're looking for clues whereby although the organizational targets and goals are this actually that doesn't really float their boat much and so it's about that little bit of extra energy they bring to the answer when you see oh yeah that really is exciting ah them. their energy levels improve. yes you're right so they may just feel like they're kind of parroting the party line yes 
Yes. So, so are they parody the party line? And the second thing to say about this, of course, is why we can't do the advanced stuff now is because in a way, you have to understand the nine motivators to work out what it is. So it does require the training on the nine motivators, or at least to read the book. If you read the book, you'd understand it, to what those nine specific motivators are that you are actually looking for. And the book will give you information regarding, so what there is, what they're, we call it a hot button. So that's the hot button. So how do you fill the hot button? So the book gives you some ideas about that, but you'd have to understand that. And that's why I can't go into that now, but I think in what I have gone through, I have actually given a pretty clear idea of what it is you're looking for in order to kind of like make more impact oh, in that. Indeed, that's very helpful, yeah. So and, and so once you've got that basic idea, so so I think you were you were, you were talking about this earlier. If you if you realise that someone's a relationship person, mm. then it, it tells you a lot of things, doesn't it? Because firstly, yes. it means that if they're a relationship person, you need to make friends with them, essentially. It, 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 so you, you need to go that, as you said, we've all got our own personal styles, but you kind of have to go that extra mile to really listen to them. Exactly. Uh, but secondly, it also means in terms of what you propose to them, um, when you're suggesting working together, those are the, you know, the, the benefits that they'd be looking for from the program or the features of the program that you ought to highlight. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, so for example, if we take the relationship kind of thing, one of the motivators within that, what they are secretly saying to themselves when they actually um, assess you and they evaluate you is, you know, they're actually asking themselves subconsciously or consciously the question, how do I know you'll be there for me? So when you come to do your proposal, what you need to actually build into the proposal are plenty of touch points that you're not going to just do this work and then, you know, excuse my French, bugger off. You're actually there for them. There's plenty of email support, visit support. There'll be post the thing support. You're, you're actually fully involved with them. They're going to find you there. That's going to be psychologically very, very important to them. It's not going to be important to the people in the A category because they just want the result. Mm. So they're not bothered whether you're going to do a, a post something follow up or not, or whether you're going to keep checking up every week to make sure they're, they're okay. And you're going to hold their hand, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making it sound a little bit trivializing in a bit, but you know what I mean? It's not trivial. It's actually really important. Mm. Some people want their hand held because they feel much better about it. So that's what the client really wants. That's what you've got to build into the proposal. And it's quite different in those three distinct categories. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, that we've been talking there primarily about one-to-one clients. Uh, when you talk, well, or rather than one-to-one clients, I mean, kind of talking to someone one-to-one because you're having a, a discussion with them. Um, is there anything you can use this for more generally on your mar- with your marketing? So, for example, if you're thinking about what yeah. you put on your website, um, obviously you don't know who's going to be visiting your website and what their motivation is. Does that mean you have to try and touch every uh, all the elements of motivation in one go or how, how would you manage that uh, it's a fabulous question actually and it's such a difficult question actually context is everything so the answer to your question is actually yes and yes i mean you could actually um create different types of marketing to appeal to different motivational profiles you could do that or alternatively uh you might be trying on touching uh, on many motivations in in one single piece of uh, of thing but Here's what I would suggest you do by way of example of what I mean. And this is an area I am not like you, a top notch marketeer. You know, <laughs> I'm actually coming at this from this very strange perspective of motivation and I'm realizing it's got applications here. So I'm kind of like happy to think it through myself. But what do I do when I kind of like, apart from my, my website, which is, which is set, I mean, my website is out there. Um, the, the key issue is going to be defining who it's out there for. 
So it's always about, well, who is my market? It doesn't matter if we get a whole bunch of people coming to the, my website who aren't really my target market. What it is, what's got to be right about it is actually given this target market is the motivational, um, message from the, from, from, from the website or from the literature. Is that actually appropriate? Mm. So I would say to you as my, my piece of advice on this, it would be like, well, so think about this at sector level. So if I was to say to you three sectors that I've worked with uh, quite extensively over the last um, 10 years, uh, which are quite different. So for accountancy, for example, I've had quite a few accountancy clients. Okay, Now, the dominant two, not the dominant three, but the dominant two motivators I've found time and time again for them are security and making a difference, which are actually at opposite poles of the Maslow hierarchy. So if I was thinking about that in my marketing terms, I would, you know, really need to think about warranties, guarantees, validation, um, all the kind of stuff that actually makes an accountant feel really secure that they're dealing with a pucker company and this is not some barrow boy, fly-by-night kind of, you know, get-rich-quick kind of company that's here today, gone tomorrow. So, By the way, for so, everyone listening from America, the translations for phrases like pucker and barrow boy will be available on the website. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do, so, do apologize. Yes, so, the, the, the get rich quick kind of companies are there to, here today and gone tomorrow. When, you know, this is a real, so you'd need to reassure them. And in terms of making a difference, of course, which is the other end of the spectrum, you know, you, you're going to need, um, actually the key thing about making a difference here will, will be probably, uh, something that's very related to the idea that you are a real company, namely testimonials and uh, case studies and and the idea that, you know, look at the case study we did with this other accountancy practice. We can do the same thing for you. So, in terms of the motivational profile, bearing in mind there tends to be a generic uh, profile for, say, accountants. Not every accountant will have that profile, but we found that there is a kind of profile. We would use the map profile to inform the kind of things we included. Now, that would be very different from, say, an IT company. I've worked with quite a lot of IT companies. Their dominant motivators tend to be expert and spirit, i.e. autonomy. So can you see? So if I was doing the website for that kind of company and I was doing it um, based on those two motivators, I'd be talking a lot about the expertise, the research, um, all the sources that, uh, that, in fact, if you go to my book, Mapping Motivation, you will find it's not ex- exhaustive, but there's actually quite a lot of references to leading scholars and uh, research, which, which backs up my central model. So, you know, for an expert, that's really, really important. Similarly, the spirit motivator, I would be looking to have pr- messages which are actually very much about freedom, autonomy, choice, how you can use this product in the way that you want to use it rather than, for example, in the way we insist you use it, mm. which I know with lots of products like mine, there's only one way you can buy into the product. It has to be done this, 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 this. We've got this very flexible way of using it. So, and, and finally, consultancy, that's got a different profile. Again, we frequently find consultants have got expert, but searcher, not spirit. So again, it's like when I'm targeting a specific area in my literature, or if I were doing it on my website, which is slightly more problematic for me because we've got a different kind of problem there, but I would be thinking, what is the profile? Does the text, does the imagery, does it all match that kind of message? Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, when I'm talking about email marketing, for example, I often talk about creating an ideal client persona, a profile of them. And that's what you're doing, but you're thinking here specifically about, you know, knowing that if my ideal clients are, are IT folks, then the things that are going to motivate them are going to be A, B and C. Um, yes. That, that are different to other people's. And it's not as if you'll completely ignore all the other 
aspects, but the ones you'll emphasize and the ones you'll draw out will be the ones you're kind of stacking the odds in your favor, aren't you? you, you Absolutely. No, of course, not everyone is the same, but you're, you're, you're positioning what you do to be where most people are likely to be in your particular target market. Absolutely. And where you, you've got a situation where, for example, it, it's, it's almost like on a case by case basis of prospects. So you, we like, for example, we get inquiries from people and then we say to them, would you like to do a map, a complimentary map? And they do a complimentary map and then we've got the profile. Yes. So occasionally I get a coach, for example, who, um, for example, this is an unusual thing for a coach, but might have belonging in their top three. Well, most coaches don't have that. Occasionally you get one who does. So what would I emphasize about motivational maps? Well, we're a family. We're in 14 countries, but we're actually very tightly knit together. We, we've had conferences. We have webinars. You have access to this person. You work with this. You do. So I would emphasize the family nature of our, you know, it's not just a distant sort of head office somewhere in Seattle where we just issue diktats. It's all very interactive. So I would, so that's not a key thing for me usually in selling my products. But if I saw that profile or I thought there was a sector where that was really important, that personal touch, that's what I'd focus on because it's true. Yeah. And you know what? That is a general principle, I think, that is the something a lot of people miss in the switch between marketing and sales. They will often... When you do marketing training, you're taught to identify, in a way, the generic benefits that are, you know, the, the good things about whatever it is you do that most of your clients are looking for. But what you need to do as you transition into that personal thing where you have a specific individual person in front of you, you obviously need to find out what their particular benefits, the things they value are, because they may be different to the standard thing. So in your case, you're using yes. motivational maps. In other people's cases, it may be through the kind of questioning process that we, you talked about earlier, that you can just pick out from the language you, they're using or the things that they're emphasizing. Or of course, you know, if you're dealing with an organization, you can pick up this, the, 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 the things generally for their organization based on, you know, what it says on their website, how they deal with their, as you were saying earlier, for example, if they, if their employees stay with them for life, that, that's a very different company to the one that has an up or out policy and people were with them for two years. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Well, let me give you just by, just finally for you, which you might find interesting. I'll give you the nine, the nine subconscious questions that the nine motivators predicate. In other words, when you're dealing with uh, anybody they've got three questions but one's dominant the other two are backup questions which they're really asking about your proposition that you're making to them and if you could answer that those that question and there's two subsidiary ones satisfactory to them they're highly likely to employ your services so the security person is asking how do i know this will work the the belonging person is asking how do i know you'll be there for me the recognition person is asking, how do I know I'll look good if I use your product? That's a great one. The control person is asking, how do I know I'll be in control? And I won't be, you won't suddenly take over and you'll be more important than me. The money person is asking is, how do I know I'll make money from this? How do I know this will be profitable? The expert person is saying, well, how do I know I will be an expert? The creative person is saying, how do I know I'll be able to make changes? The independence person is saying, how do I know I'll be able to prioritize? This won't squeeze me too much. And the, and the making a difference person is saying, how do I know I'll make a difference with this? So it's actually satisfying those nine questions. And when you can, there'll be a dominant one and two backup ones, the top three, as I said before, you can actually meet those three for anybody. There's a high probability they're going to want to buy from you. 
And I found this time and time again, time and time again. In fact, the whole growth of motivational maps really comes down to people, you know, doing the map as a complementary map and then me knowing in advance what it is is actually really important to them. And I'm not manipulating them. I'm just telling them what we can do based on those three motivators. So that is... James, yeah. I'm just going to see you know, those nine questions. I suspect if people listening to this um, interview just sat down and tried to answer those questions, each of those questions for their business. Yes. Now, obviously, nobody's going to need the answers to all nine questions, but to have the answers to all nine questions yourself so that you can, at, at, at worst, at least you're answering the question for one ninth of the people. <laughs> that, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, the, the thing uh, about it is, Ian, if we go back to the, that's a sort of salesy thing in a way, but if we go back to your key distinction between sales and marketing and we had to, to round that up and say, well, yes, and actually ask yourself this. It's highly probable for sort of 95% of people listening to this that actually they have a target market and those nine questions, you know, only three or four of them are really going to generate the value because they've got a typical client profile, a bit like your prospect profile, in which they're, these are the ones which turn them on. That's why they, even if they owned a shop, the kind of people that go to your shop are the kind of people who actually have this profile. So if you could answer that more effectively for the people already in your shop, you could deepen their experience and actually e- and get greater customer client loyalty as a result of answering these questions at a, at a deeper level. Mm, they're very good questions. James, that has been really excellent, very, very helpful. Um, so thank you very much for that. Um, as you said earlier, the book is um, available pretty soon um, yes. on Amazon and is available right now from the publishers Gower. Um, and if people want to find out more about you generally and, and the motivational maps and things, what should they do? They should uh, contact me either on my website, which is www.motivationalmaps.com or my personal site, which is www.jamesaleoneword.co.uk. Um, um, and the, we will certainly reply to anyone who tries to contact us um, via those two sources. And they'll be able to kind of look around the site and find out and more look around about the all site. ideas of motivation and those Absolutely. different models. Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. James, it's been a real pleasure and really instructive. Thank you very much for that. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for inviting me, Ian. You're, it's been a great interview, and uh, you're so good and smooth at this. You, you, you know, you want to make a career out of this, man. You, you're that good at it. And <laughs> I, I thoroughly, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed myself. So God bless, and Thank I'll you. speak to you next time, okay? Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye, Ian. Bye.